Welcome to Data Dialogues from Equifax, a podcast about how data-driven insights can power smarter business decisions. Hi, I'm Trisha Gabberty, marketing leader here at Equifax and the host of today's Data Dialogue, a podcast where we engage business leaders to discuss all things data. Today, we're joined by Aaron J. Webster, the Chief Risk Officer for SoFi. For those of you who may not be familiar with the name, SoFi is short for Social Finance Incorporated. They were founded in 2011 and started by offering student refinance loans. They've since grown to offer a full suite of financial services products. Aaron, welcome, and thanks for being here. Hi, Tricia. Thanks so much for having me. Well, before we dive into the data dialogues, I'm wondering if you can just share a little bit about yourself and your role at uh, SoFi. Absolutely. Uh, I joined SoFi in July of 2019 as the Chief Risk Officer for SoFi. You know, what attracted me to SoFi was really SoFi's mission. It was really about helping people uh, across the spectrum get their money right. And what I was incredibly impressed by was really what I would call the fusion of luminaries from financial services. So people that had deep and rich, you know, banking and financial services background, teaming up with what I would call really accomplished tech professionals to build what I would say is now a leading member ecosystem. Um, the game plan was never, you know, how does SoFi add more products? But as we've evolved over the last year and a half that I've been here, it's really been about how do we meet member needs to accomplish their financial objectives, whether it's borrowing, saving, spending, investing, or protecting. And that's resulted in us doing increasingly more things to meet more members where they need us. You know, in the past year that I've been here, we've really focused on not just uh, the status quo, but actually building an incredibly uh, new uh, risk management organization that allows us to play offense and defense, giving us, you know, not only taking advantage of SoFi's scale, which, you know, for those of you that don't know, we've funded over $50 billion of loans to date. Uh, it's also offered us the incredible opportunity for us to actually support more members by having risk and data science organizations that they will help us actually expand uh, responsibly while managing the safety and soundness of our of our institution. That's great for a company that started in 2011 to have hit the $50 billion mark in loans. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. And I have to ask, um, you mentioned about you meeting the member needs and, and, and servicing them the way they need to be serviced, meeting them where they are. How does data play a role in that for SoFi? And specifically, I guess, to your role as a chief risk officer, how do you rely on data to, to kind of make sure you're getting the right products into the right hands? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, so for example, uh, we started as a student loan refinance company and really as members, you know, progressed in their financial lives, the, the next most logical product was, okay, I, I've made a huge investment in my education. What's sort of the next huge investment that I have to make? And that, you know, was a, uh, was a home loan. And so, you know, so if I launched home loans, and then it became about, okay, I have a home. Now I actually personal loan because I want to be able to consolidate debt and actually, you know, take revolving debt and make it installment debt so I can actually pay it down and actually have a plan to put my financial life in order. Um, and so personal loans was born. And so there's there's been this continuous evolution of members really driving uh, our financial products. Uh, but at the same time, data has really played a role as we start to look at you know, the way I think about data is really it's the electricity of our financial services company. It's really the raw material that enables us to make so much of the magic happen. 
um, you know, looking back, you know, more broadly than just SoFi over the years, the breadth of data has really transformed um, our ability to sort of not only target and and create opportunities for people that you know otherwise were outside the system, but the relevancy, the timeliness, the ubiquity of the data has really dramatically changed. You know, Equifax, which you know the amount of data that Equifax has is incredible. Um, what was once a report card from Equifax, that the credit bureau report, really you know now has evolved into there being so much data, whether it's fraud, whether it's identity data, that allows us to do so much of what traditionally was done, you know, physically in in, in physical branches. Now we can actually do so much of it digitally, um, and I think that's really transformed the way that you know we make uh, not just credit decisions, but the ability to actually uh, transact our financial lives digitally by leveraging you know all the you know identity data and things like that. It's really not just in the United States, but having work globally, uh, it really has created, I think, a, a significant lift in financial inclusion as we've seen uh, not just credit, but also transactional and behavioral data play a substantial role in, in getting people into the financial system. You know, but more specifically to SoFi, you know, we leverage data throughout our ecosystem, prioritizing the member experience. And what I mean by is, you know, if you think about historically, if you applied for credit card, if you applied for a mortgage, if you applied for a deposit account, all of those were separate applications. The ubiquity of your data didn't extend beyond one product. And at SoFi, we've been focused on progressive onboarding and that single experience. So if if we already know your your name and your birth date and you know where you live, we're not going to ask you for that again if you want to extend your relationship with us. And I think um, that's really important because it extends not just to application data, but other intelligence that we have about you that allows us to improve your overall experience. And I think you know the way that I think about the data is, is the more information that we have, the more that we can actually create bespoke experiences for you. So I, I think about our member home feed. If you log into the SoFi app, we really are able to prioritize relevant content based on data that enables you to accomplish really three key things, which every person that's concerned about their financial health should worry about. It's it's what must you do today? What should you do today? And what can you do today to really improve your financial health? And so, you know, really our everything that we do is focused on how do we take the data that we have and how do we create actionable intelligence for our members to, to be able to use to improve their financial health? That's great. I'll tell you, you touched on a lot of points. Um, I'm smiling because there's a lot of enthusiasm as you tell your story about all of all of what SoFi touches and how they service and maintain their, their customers. You hit the 1 million mark this year, 1 million members in 2020, done during a pandemic year is, is pretty impressive. But before we go there, I just want to touch on a few things that you did mention. Um, you talked about, you know, doing everything digitally and how everyone is online. I think the beauty of SoFi is the fact that as alternative finance came to being, right, you were able to kind of shed the brick and mortar and legacy systems that traditional banking has experienced, right, and, ha- and that they offer their customers now. And I just wanted to ask you, how do you balance and how have you seen the transformation accelerate in terms of people becoming more digitally savvy and more comfortable with you know putting their their financial decisions 
in the hands of a, of a digital device when they're used to going to that, you know, kind of neighborhood or community branch, which, which now seems such a foreign thought. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, as you think about your financial health and what the, the trust factor that you have to have with a financial institution is incredibly important. And I think, Trisha, some of the points that you hit on are like squarely in, um, you know, areas of, of, I think, really clear focus for SoFi. Um, you know, if you want to take a loan from someone, you don't have to have complete confidence and, and faith in them. So like if, if they're not there next week, you're not going to worry about it because you don't have to pay the loan back. Right. But as we, you know, have embarked in what I would call, you know, really uh, deep relationship model, um, you know, our members are, you know, putting their savings in our, in SoFi as part of the investment business. They're, they're having their direct deposits come into SoFi as part of our SoFi money product. And so, they there there has to be a credible level of investment there that people have confidence not just in SoFi but we're a, a custodian of their assets and their financial uh, futures and so if you think about the million members it's incredible endorsement for you know what people think of SoFi but I think we're just getting started some of the iconic brands that we've partnered with um, we just recently launched uh, Samsung Money by SoFi. People can transact and and spend using uh, money that they that resides at SoFi that's powered by their Samsung device. You know, we recently launched uh, our SoFi Stadium, uh, which is in Inglewood, California, a beautiful five billion dollar project uh, that is the home to the LA Rams and Chargers. Just phenomenal sort of iconic institutions that we've been mm-hmm. able to, to to partner with. Is really about creating, you know, further extension of credibility for SoFi, not to just be a household name, but be a trusted partner in in people's financial uh, financial lives. Absolutely, you know, you, you talked about the confidence that that people have or or need to have in order to engage, because it's all digital, right? This is all online. There's not a SoFi branch on my corner. So I think what you've accomplished um, at SoFi is beyond confidence and credibility. It's that that currency of trust with your members that you know, traditional banking took a big hit with in, in the last recession. And yet, I don't know that you really encountered that perhaps when you first opened your doors. Um, my personal story is I did contact SoFi when my daughter was graduating college to help consolidate some of the student debt that she'd accumulated. So thank you for that. <laughs> but it, it, it's been interesting as a consumer to sort of watch watch you grow. And I'm just wondering, as you go through that journey, you talked about really getting to know your members. And as I referenced earlier, back back in the not too distant past, we would turn to community banks or to our local branch. And there's a, there's a chance that we were recognized by the banker there. Um, and they sort of would try to follow our life stage. But I think having the technology fast forwarding into the alternative finance, the offerings that you have made, you still can carry on that relationship. And to your point earlier about the data being able to follow through the journey. So now my daughter has graduated. I received a solicitation from SoFi to, hey, you want us to help you consolidate your debt? It was, it came at the right time and it benefited us greatly. So, you know, how would that then carry on forward? How, how do you use data to continue through that life cycle and maintain that relationship? with your members. 
Yeah, it's a great question, Trisha. I, I think the you know the whole SoFi model has really evolved as well. So if you look at SoFi two years ago, it was a desktop first, you know, web-based uh, you know lender that had only a few uh, financial products. Uh, if you look at us today, we've evolved into being an app-first digital product set um, that has everything you know across the spectrum from from borrowing to investing to to saving and transacting. The relevancy and timeliness of data. So if I think about, it's not just the personalized aspect to your point of of having someone you know recognize you in the community that that knows who you are and in you know knows enough about you to you know know your name and things like that leveraging our you know insights that we have from transactional data or from bureau information we're able to actually create a much more holistic financial picture uh, for our membership and you know when members link their accounts using our relay product, we're actually able to see beyond SoFi, um, you know, relationships they have to help them also. If, for example, you know, they have substantial credit card debt, we can actually surface ways um, to help, help actually save them money and consolidate that debt. And, you know, if you think about those are all personalized, relevant, timely um, experiences, but we actually have an entirely, you know, separate business unit. It really focuses on content focuses on education and learning uh, and making sure, you know, that we're able to provide not just relevant financial advice based on data and intelligence, but also provide more holistic information about, you know, everything from like, should you have life insurance or what does it take to create a a trust or, um, you know, there's, should you have renter's insurance? Like, so there's a whole library of content that you get with membership that's really beyond the, the insights that we service, but also trusted and authentic content that allows our members to really think about things that maybe they haven't thought about before that they should be doing uh, to protect themselves and their, their families that you wouldn't necessarily get if you walked into a branch bank and had a relationship, but they're not going to know enough about you to, to really have the, the you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence to say, yes, but here are five other things that you could do to really improve your long-term financial uh, success. That's an excellent point. It's, you know, their their data may be more static. It may be dated versus the more fluid data that you have and the access to a little bit more about me. And I think that my next question would be how to avoid that creep factor um, that, that, that some people may feel. And and I don't know that, that your customers feel that because it sounds like you're delivering such an amazing amount of satisfaction in terms of, okay, you know me, you're meeting me in the channel that I prefer with the offer that makes sense for me in this life stage. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Is it, do you rely on call centers? Is it email? Do, you know? Obviously we have our, our data science teams are constantly working to optimize the, the digital first experience that we have and, you know, using data and, and risk models to drive differentiated outcomes. So if you think about the ways that our, our members interact with us today, um, that's primarily through our SoFi app. And so, you know, in our member home feed, which hopefully, Trisha, you use every day and mm-hmm. you're one of our, uh, you know, three times or more a week users, uh, you can actually go in and we are actually real-time surfacing content that's relevant to you, uh, that's timely. That includes a combination of, you know, things like, for example, if, if you're spending, uh, you know, if you see, if we see fees of, of substantial amount, 
um, we're able to actually help you understand that, you know, your fees are substantially different than a non-personalized, you know, peer group. I think we have reached an era where it's not big brother. You know, I, I kind of assume that you're going to be in there, but I know that you're in there for credible purposes, right? So if you're, if you're kind of monitoring, oh, she's moving money from one account to another, or she's inquiring about this product, you're not using that to simply leverage more of my, my assets, but rather to, again, reinforce the relationship that you, you and I have formed as a member and a, and a financial institution to just better my financial being, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's really about the efficient frontier. So I, we're in the risk business. And I think one example is our transactional products. Uh, you know, we aspire to make funds available as quickly as people deposit them, right? So if you take a you know snapshot of a, a, a mobile check deposit, we want to make those funds available as quickly as possible. But we have to balance that with risks that the check or the ACH could be returned and the funds are already spent. They left our ecosystem. So we're constantly refining, you know, whether it's our credit models or our funds availability models, leveraging, you know, a, a broad ecosystem of non-personalized member data to actually gain insights on tenure, account profile, type of spend. And actually, you know, it's really not, our, our mission is not to minimize deposit losses in this case, but it's really to balance optimal funds availability with losses that we expect to have. And there's things that you can continue to do to, you know, improve your overall. So as you transact more on the platform and we get to know you more, just like when you walk into a bank branch, um, you know, you, people see you, um, it's, it's the same thing. You know, you're transacting on our platform. We're able to get to know, um, you know, your behaviors better. And as we get to know that, um, we're able to actually provide even more value for our membership based on that, those insights. I, I want to circle back to the milestone that you hit this year, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, the year 2020, that we'll all look back on and say, what happened back there? You managed to hit 1 million members. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to talk a little bit and dig a little bit into that. I, I know that we've seen sort of the acceleration and adopt of the adoption of digital by consumers, some in certain age groups, uh, myself included, <laughs> that may not have felt as comfortable or as digitally savvy in the past, um, having really been forced into suddenly being, you know, an online user. Did you see different segments based on your data of, of people, of age groups coming in uh, across the population? Or was it just, again, the, the SoFi engine was just kind of humming along and you've managed to hit that milestone just based on business as usual? Yeah, we we saw incredibly broad uh, growth across all of our products. You know, specifically, you know, the investment products uh, saw tremendous growth. Anthony Noda, our CEO, has been on CNBC uh, a number of times and talked about sort of the growth and sort of the learnings that we've had um, as we've launched, I think, some iconic capabilities and, and feature sets like, you know, fractional shares. And so the transformation that's happened there and really democratized investing has been pretty incredible. And so the take up and number of people that are using things like fractional shares to invest now has really been prolific as people have, they've had more time, they're at home, um, you know, people have become more digitally savvy and are really leveraging um, technology to help them stay, you know, connected. And, you know, to your point, like we've had an incredible year and it's not just about the million members, but it's about the next 10 million that we're building for. And, you know, as part of that, it's, you know, SoFi has built incredibly 
sustainable and resilient portfolio. We have, you know, an entire, you know, capability set built around sort of recession readiness and being able to, you know, manage through um, whatever economic environment that we're in. And I think at the outset of, of the pandemic, there were definitely, you know, doomsday scenarios around credit performance. And, you know, those things haven't materialized. But I think the resiliency of SoFi's model is we were prepared. We, you know, have our playbook at hand. Uh, we have not just the, the leadership team and the risk expertise, but also um, the playbook to be able to go and execute against uh, to actually support our members through whatever the cycle. And so when many of, uh, you know, the, the marketplace lenders pulled back, uh, substantially, you know, SoFi continued to originate loans throughout the pandemic and, you know, we continue to support our members. So it's been great. You talked about how you had this playbook, you know, kind of recession preparedness at your, at your fingertips, so to speak. Was it in place already or did you look back at SoFi to say, okay, you know, history often repeats itself. Let's look back at the last recession to prepare for what might lie ahead. And, and if you did, what, what did you find? Yeah, SoFi's been building for this for for a while, and we continue to refine it. Um, you know, every single month, things like um, being able to stress test our portfolios on a real time basis and provide investor community with real time intelligence on what's going on is incredibly important. And so, you know, in addition to being ready to respond, whether it's through our collection strategies or scaling our collection operations organization or supporting our members in times of need and and being able to receive their calls or, you know, stood up, we stood up, um, you know, over the course of a weekend, the ability for members to, you know, self-service and request uh, hardship forbearance relief on their personal loans and student loans. It's, it's been incredibly um, enriching experience as we've gone through COVID-19. Uh, but I think it's also reinforced the fact that the playbook that we had was robust and ready. Um, we actually virtualized our entire uh, you know, organization over the course of three weeks, including uh, all of our member experience team that respond to members, you know, inbound calls and emails and, and chat messages. Uh, so, you know, the entire 16, 1700 person company was virtualized um, and, you know, we continue to meet all of our service levels and things like that. So it's been incredibly, not just robust from a, a credit and data perspective, but the amount of sort of business continuity uh, that we've been able to achieve is and supporting our members has just been uh, phenomenal. And it must have been a relief just to know that you had that nimbleness and agility in place to be able to, you know, refocus and renavigate that way. Um, but before we leave that playbook scenario, was there anything? And did you look back at the data from 2010 to say, Oop, okay, here here's some inputs from the last recession that will guide us through the economic turmoil we're facing, or or was this sort of a brave new world for you? Uh, we have internal models that we've built that look at, you know, obviously uh, loss outlooks across the horizon, including a number of different uh, stress scenarios that we create internally, as well as we use a, a third party, you know, benchmark provider that allows us to, um, you know, stress test according to uh, a number of the publicly available scenario, whether it's, you know, CCAR scenarios, whether they're different adverse economic scenarios. And that allows us to create multiple different scenario outlooks um, as we move through the, the progression of the pandemic. And, you know, obviously there was a significant risk as, as people became unemployed without the lack of support. And so as we've seen, 
going through the process, we've actually, you know, had members that substantially requested forbearance. Um, and then, you know, inside of a month, uh, had re- regained sort of their, you know, financial footing and felt confident enough to actually start to, uh, you know, make their payments again, which has, has been great because it's allowed our membership, um, to take advantage of when they need relief, but then also actively work to, to start voluntarily start their repayments as well. Just in your experience over your career, do you feel, especially as a, as a chief risk officer, the efficacy of the data, the sourcing of the data that, that either SoFi or other institutions use, how important is that? Sometimes I hear marketers in particular say, oh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of good enough. It's giving me a directional lead. But yeah. as we get into these areas of privacy, et cetera, just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think um, sort of efficacy and accuracy of data is incredibly important. We over-index towards, you know, our number one corporate priority um, is really focused on on data and making sure that data is not only accessible, but, you know, have an end-to-end data governance process around, you know, being able to control from source system all the way through uh, the way that it's held, the way that it's stored, um, the, the permanency of it, um, et cetera. And so as we think about, you know, data, it's really about accuracy. It's really about if we're going to leverage it in, you know, the member's interest to actually be able to provide them recommendations for things that they, you know, must, should, or could do to improve their financial health. Our, our members are relying on us to, to be able to serve them, you know, accurate insights. And so that is heavily reliant on the, the underlying data ecosystem. Um, as well as our, you know, not to mention our investor community and others um, heavily depend on accuracy of our porting and our our data that we provide. But our membership is really the sort of the key nucleus of why we're so focused on curating and make sure that the data, um, you know, from a, a governance and stewardship perspective is is absolutely um, rock solid. So again, I was going to touch on that, the, the kind of balance between uh, servicing your customers, having that more personal touch, but balancing that with privacy mm-hmm. and guarding their, uh, you know, our data. Um, how, how does that work? And how do you, how do you handle that? I, I love hearing that it's a corporate priority, but I, you know, the appetite for the, the average consumer is, and you referenced it earlier in the conversation about why do I have to tell you my phone number again? I gave it to you already, or you, you know, I filled out my, my address 10 times. You are able to kind of jump over that speed bump and, and, and service me directly and quickly, yet you're guarding the privacy part. So how do you, how do you balance that for your consumers and t- to make sure that we are, are feeling that, that sense of comfort and assurances that our data is protected, yet I don't have to repeat, you know, my name, rank, and serial number each time I contact you. Yeah, I mean, that's really the the importance of why we continue to invest in our member ecosystem. It's a closed ecosystem. Um, we only surface things that are relevant and timely to our membership. You know, as we think about, you know, having a full-time information security function that's really focused on you know, external threats, but then also an internal privacy organization that really is focused on advocating for our members in terms of ensuring that we have complete compliance with all the different relevant privacy legislation. Uh, but then also, you know, as we think about, you know, how do we containerize and, and, and as we use data to the extent that it's, you know, non-personalized um, and we're looking at, you know, cohort groups and things like that, um, it's a way for us to use data as a powerful way to inform our members, but not necessarily 
you know, use their specific information. So, you know, mm-hmm. by using, for example, peer comparisons, uh, you know, I, I, I go back to one of the early examples I used around, you know, if, if you're spending uh, $50 in fees a month on ATMs, um, you know, if you were, if you were a SoFi customer um, or you look like a SoFi customer that used direct deposit as a primary uh, avenue in SoFi, um, you would see that you, you could potentially save $50 a month. And so it's, it's using non-personalized data uh, from, you know, a peer group or peer cohort, uh, as well as personalized data. So your specific transactional data uh, to create, you know, insights on how you could potentially save money. Throughout this conversation, it's been very apparent that SoFi has that flexibility to stand up tools or implement new programs quickly in order to answer to the demands and needs of the market. Is there anything new or up and coming that you have to share standing up soon? Re- really exciting question. I mean, I think this is this is one of the reasons that I joined SoFi. Just the the amount of the velo- sheer velocity of things that we're doing is pretty incredible. And you know, if you look back through the course of the year, like the m- million member uh, milestone was uh, you know incredible for our company. You know, we're already on to the next uh, million. Uh, but I think the the really cool thing here is that. Even through the pandemic, we did things that were really pretty impossible. Like we launched the Samsung Money by SoFi product. We acquired a company called Galileo Technologies, which is uh, a world-class uh, payments uh, processor and, and technology company. Um, we acquired a business in Hong Kong that's that's now SoFi Hong Kong um, that offers uh, investment services across uh, Hong Kong. So in addition to that, We've already got a lot of cool stuff that's planned for the rest of the year. Um, I think one of the most rewarding projects that we did this year was actually one we we accomplished with Equifax. We had a wonderful opportunity to work closely with the governor's office in the state of Connecticut, Department of Economic and Community Development, to actually bring you know small business loans to citizens in the state of Connecticut. And so we uh, stood up a program leveraging our technology. And uh, the state of Connecticut um, as our partner and Equifax and Secure and a number of others to actually fulfill on what the state of Connecticut was trying to do, which is get money in the hands of uh, businesses that were impacted by the pandemic. Um, so it was a, a quick and flexible program that we were able to do um, that I think was, uh, again, thanks to Equifax for the, the help with that. I think the other thing that we've got coming later this year is our credit card product, which is really, I would say, one of the mm. last pieces of the puzzle, so to speak, in terms of giving people the ability to transact on our platform, um, you know, on a credit product. We're really excited about that. It's really the sort of last keystone in terms of being able to provide, I think, complete, you know, end-to-end personal financial uh, services. No, well, that's exciting. The last frontier. I'm a, I'm a MasterCard alum, so. Um... Yeah, payments and, and the transformation of that, that whole space has been incredible. So as we start to wind down here, um, just wanted to ask if you had one piece of parting advice that you could offer companies that you feel um, make an impact and, and how to help them mitigate risk better or use data better or both. Yeah, I would say the, uh, the guiding principle um, is really to treat data as a critical asset, treat it as electricity, treat it as you know, something that is uh, incredibly valuable, not just to the, the company or the firm that you're working, but really to the membership that relies on you. 
you know, leverage, you know, establish a culture that really values data, drives decisions from data, um, and really is a data first organization. We're a tech company. Uh, we do some incredible things in the financial services space, but I think this is broadly applicable. The fact that there is the sort of ubiquity of data that exists today, leveraging it, you know, investing in the right data science resources. Um, we have an incredible data science team. We have an incredible global analytics center um, that that also supports us in in really taking and 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 building upon data and creating insights and value from it that our members can consume. So that's my parting sort of words of uh, words of experience is is really you know data is is should be an electrical or you know utility function that that is an empowerment to the entire institution. Aaron, it's been terrific talking with you today. Thank you so much. You've given us a lot of information to go back. I'm going to re-listen to this podcast again myself a couple of times because you really shared a lot and gave us a lot to think about. But we enjoyed your time with us, Aaron, and wish you and SoFi the best. Thanks so much, Tricia. I wish you and Equifax the best as well. And thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Data Dialogues from Equifax. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button to be notified of future episodes and leave us a review. To keep our legal team happy, we'd like to remind you that nothing in this podcast is legal advice, and we recommend to always consult with your own legal representative to ensure your data use is handled properly. Also, the opinions and views expressed in the podcast are not intended as hard facts and advice. They're also not necessarily the views of Equifax.